Uh, how many of y'all were here October 16th? Awesome. Because if you weren't here, you might want to run out there and listen to it real quick and come back <laughs> so that you can catch up on what God's going to speak to us this morning. But on October 16th, the Lord gave me a word, and for really one of the first times and, and possibly the only time in my life, I felt as if the Lord was calling me to give a prophetical word to the body of believers. And that word was Joel chapter 2, and we're going to get to that in just a second and kind of just take it from there. But if you remember, what God was speaking to us on that morning was that our country, our nation was at a crossroads. Our nation was at a place where only God, only God. And so we came together, and after Brother Fred's two messages on the death of a nation, as we began to say, how, God, have you called us to stand in the gap? How have you called us as believers at Luke 4.18 to stand in the gap? And he gave us Joel chapter 2, which said, call a solemn assembly and blow the shofar. And as we blew the shofar, we consecrated a fast, prayer, sackcloth and ashes, and mourning over our nation for 22 days. And as we began to cry out to God and I thought to myself this morning, the last thing y'all want to probably see is the shofar, because if I brought that out, y'all would think we're going 22 days fasting again. <laughs> but over 100 plus people fled the aisles that morning and fell on their face before an almighty God. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord heard our cry. Amen. Stephen, I know I didn't give you this verse, but if you could put on the screens Psalms 30, the last two verses of Psalm 30. And while he does that, let me just read to you my, my life verse. I promised the Lord before I preached, I would always read this verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says, My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, if you don't remove me out of the way and speak to the congregation, Lord, then it is worthless this morning. So God, I ask right now, Lord, that you place me on the front row just to watch what you have to say for the people of God here at Luke 418 Fellowship. And Lord, may it be on your power and the demonstration of who you are this morning and you alone. Lord, we love you and praise you for it's in your name. Amen. Let me remind you real quickly. Joel chapter 2 said, put on sackcloth and ashes. It said, mourn. And then it said, to pray and to fast. And then it says in verse 14 of Joel 2, it said, And who knows, God may relent his anger and bring back the grain offering, the drink offering. Well, the Lord brought me to Psalms 30, and Brother Fred shared it two weeks ago, but I want you all to see Psalms 30, verse 11 and 12. It says this, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. In verse 12 it says, That my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks to you. I will give thanks to you forever. I pray that that is your heart this morning. God has removed our sackcloth and given us just gladness and excitement and joy as we move forward in what God is calling us to do. During this time of prayer that we took on October, 20, uh, October 16th, the time that we were, were crying out to God and seeking the Lord, that prayer was never for a certain candidate to win for the election. I never once mentioned that day of a certain candidate or saying that we're praying for this candidate or that candidate. Our prayer was for repentance over our nation, for the fear of God to be restored to our nation, and that for what seemed wrong to be right, for that to be removed, because that was the path that we continued to take every day over the last several years, is that what, was, what is wrong was being made what was right, and what was right was being made wrong. And many of us felt that oppression upon us for years and years and years, knowing that what was right was being considered wrong in our nation. And so I want to share with you, over the 22 days of prayer and fasting, for me it was a little bit longer because I felt like I needed to come into that time. It wasn't right for me just to say, let's all, like, I, I prepared for that moment that the Lord spoke. And so the Lord spoke to me four things that I want to share with you, and then we're going to jump into our message this morning. The first thing that the Lord shared with me, and I think many of y'all will agree with me on this, is that, I hope you'll agree because it's scriptural, is that man's wisdom is not what we need to be looking for. 
we need to be looking to God's wisdom. In doing that, the Lord showed me that there is a bias in our media. Did y'all know that? And so the Lord told me to not only fast as we fasted, but also to remove all media and all national news during the time of prayer and fasting. Let me tell you what happened in that moment. I removed all media. I didn't look. Some people said I stuck my head in the sand. No, here's what I did. I got in the Word of God. And I started to realize the power of my God. Because see, whenever I would focus in on the media, and I've shared this with you all that Sunday night that, that we had right before the election, whenever I'd focus in on the media, I would say, okay, God, I'm praying because I'm supposed to, but God, have you not heard what the media said? And the Lord would say, don't you realize how big and powerful I am? And I would return with saying, well, Lord, the media says it's impossible. And that seems so silly, but it's so true, and that happens without us even realizing it sometimes. And for 22 days, I had no idea what was happening in America. This is what the Lord told me. He says, if you take the media, man's wisdom out, and only listen to God's wisdom, which is the word of God, then you will have peace, and you will pray with faith. Because God has proven himself in the word of God over and over and over and over again. I'm going to share with you here in just a second, but think about just all the miracles that you saw in the Old Testament and New Testament. I mean, dead people came to life. Hey, Lazarus, come on out. People say that he called him by name because if he would have said, come out of the grave, everybody would have come out of the grave. I mean, my God is so big, as I've shared so many times, that he said, let there be light, and light flew out of his mouth, and the sun happened. I don't know about y'all, but that's pretty powerful. I mean, that's how big my God is. And so as I removed all media out of my life and I only focused on the Word of God, I was renewed in my heart of how big and how powerful and how awesome my God is. And I pray that that's the same in yours. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 through 29, it tells us about God's wisdom. It says, in verse 25, it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. We boast in God and God alone. Over the last 22 days of prayer and fasting, I boast in who my God is as he spoke to me. The second thing the Lord spoke to me is this. And Brother Fred, on Wednesday night after the election, you allowed people to share their testimony. And man, I was like jumping in the back wanting to share, but I just knew it wasn't my time. And so I'm going to share now one of the, the four things the Lord spoke to me, and that is this is that we were watching a Joseph being raised up in America. You say, David, what do you mean a Joseph being raised up in America? Here's, here's what I mean. Think of Joseph for a second. Joseph was second in command of Egypt. And when Joseph was second in command of Egypt, God granted him favor in the ear of who? Pharaoh. And because of the favor that he gave to Joseph in the ear of Pharaoh and the wisdom that was bestowed upon Joseph who was saved. First, the nation of Egypt was saved and second, God's people were saved. You say, what do you mean, David? Well, God told Joseph, he said, listen, I'm gonna, he gave him the, the, the understanding that, hey, I'm gonna, there's going to be seven great years and then there's going to be seven bad years. And so, so Joseph began to store up in the storehouse and when the seven tough years came, guess what happened? Egypt had food because of the wisdom of Joseph. And then the nation of Israel over in the promised land are, are over, uh, and they, they said, hey, listen, you know, we ain't got no food. And so they came down to Egypt, and they find there, because of Joseph being placed there, second in command. And during that time, the nation of Israel then comes down, and they are given so much land, and prosperity begins to happen to the nation of Israel. You say, well, David, how'd they get into slavery? The reason they got into slavery is because they were so prosperous that when a new pharaoh came on the scene, he was afraid of them and said, hey, um, I don't know who Joseph is. I'm a new pharaoh, and these people are going to overtake me if we're not careful because they're that prosperous, so we're going to put them into slavery. So God was showing me that he was raising up a Joseph 
in our nation. You say, David, who's the Joseph? I'm not going to say his name, but here's what I want you to know. I'm going to share with you one minute of this guy speaking. I'm going to say his name, Mike Pence. Here it is. And lastly, it's not just faith in the American dream, but it's the other kind of faith. And I would encourage you, if you're inclined to do as the Pence family does from time to time, to bow the head and bend the knee. It would be a good time to pray for this country in the next four weeks. I mean, honestly. And I, and I mean just pray for America. Pray that America will once again stand tall, stand strong. The last best hope of earth. That's what Abraham Lincoln called it. It's still true. That beacon of hope and freedom. And so I, I encourage you, remember, what's been true for thousands of years is still true today. That if his people, who are called by his name, will humble themselves and pray, he will hear from heaven, and he, as he's always done before, he will heal our land. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. talk about God raising up a Joseph wow that was before the election that wasn't like after the election okay now I have boldness to speak no he was speaking boldness the third thing the Lord spoke to me was this on the day of the election at 3.30 that afternoon I was driving down the road and the Lord audibly spoke to me and said David here's what's going to take place tonight and I said okay Lord uh, I'm Thomas I'll wait up and see because I felt like doubting Thomas. And you say, well, David, how did God speak to you? As I was driving down the road, it hadn't rained for 40-something days in Mobile, Alabama. And as I was driving down the road, and I actually called uh, a person here in the con congregation that's here today. So this, this is a true story. A song by Avalon, who I don't even listen to Avalon. I mean, I didn't even know they still existed. But a song by Avalon came on the radio, and it was called, If My People Pray. Or, If My People. And in that song, it basically shared the whole message that we preached that day. That God spoke. And it says, if my people pray, then I will rain down rivers of grace and mercy. And in that moment, after 40-something days, it started raining. In that moment. And I said, Lord, I hear. I hear your cry. I hear what you're telling me. The last thing that the Lord spoke to me, and I want you to hear this, and then we're really going to dive in this morning. And that is this. The days after the election, the Lord showed me an illustration of Exodus chapter 14. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14. Many of y'all should have this, at least the story memorized. But in Exodus 14, you have the nation of Israel has left. They're on their way out. And Pharaoh says, you know what? What in the world have we done? Let's go get them. I don't know about y'all. But I have felt over several weeks and several months and several years an oppression from our culture to tell me that I'm not supposed to speak because I believe in the totality of the Word of God. And as Brother Fred said not too long ago, there was an oppression that was lifted. And I continue to sense that, that, that just trying to, to keep people from speaking the truth of the gospel and so all of a sudden they were released from slavery and they're on their way out and they get to a place that's a problem. There's the Red Sea in front of them. And when they get to the Red Sea, the, the, the Egyptian army begins to start closing in on them. And if you'll start in verse 10 of, of Exodus chapter 14, it says, As Pharaoh drew near the sons of Israel, look, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Wow. God just 
heard their cry and released them from the slavery of the Egyptians. And now they're sitting there saying, okay, we're up against a tough task here. We got the Egyptian army behind us. We got the Red Sea in front of us. And their focus now is on what? Their circumstances around them and not on the great I am, Yahweh, the King of Kings. And they begin to complain. And they even say that we would rather be in slavery than die in the wilderness. It says in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. In verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As you lift up your staff and stretch out your hands over the seas and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry lands. As for me, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians um, so that they will go in after them. And they will be honored through Pharaoh and all of his armies um, <clears throat> through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God who had been going before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians or the, of Egypt and the camp of Israel. And there was a cloud along the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hands over the seas and the Lord swept back this, uh, by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. Now show that picture, um, if y'all don't mind, the picture that we pulled up. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but um, I don't know how high the walls were. I don't know how big the east wind was, uh, but I like this picture. And I don't know about y'all, but, but when I look at that, that's a miracle. I mean, how many of y'all would say it's a miracle? All right, good, y'all are trekking. Um, this is a miracle. But what I think is even greater than seeing this was that it required the faith of the nation of Israel to take a step and say, okay, they're not falling down. Another step, okay, they're not falling down. And they began to walk. Think of this for a second. If we get up to a place of a miracle, but yet don't have the faith to walk through it, then we're walking in disobedience. And so what the Lord spoke to me is this, is that though the waters have been parted, and though we saw an incredible miracle of God, and you say, David, what was that miracle? Was the miracle that the certain person was elected? No, the miracle is this, is that the different things that have been pushing uh, Christians to keep their mouth shut, and the different policies that have been placed upon our shoulders and saying that we're not allowed to do this and making wrong right has been slowed down and so we see the miracle of God open now the question is this do we have the faith to step between the two walls of the water see here's the thing God didn't just part the seas for us to look there and say okay that's awesome God now put us back in captivity God didn't just part the seas for us to stand there and say great job God that is awesome now I'm going to go back living just like I did because if they would have chose to do that in Exodus 14 here's what would have happened one of two things either the Egyptian army would have captured them and taken them and placed them into slavery or they would have killed them one of two things but see sometimes we just read that scripture and we're like man they walked right through I have a feeling that like they were like the kids were probably like let's go this is awesome because kids have childlike faith but the adults are probably like, mm, I don't know about this. Come on, kids, y'all go first and I'll follow. <laughs> so the Lord spoke to me and he said, David, this morning as you come together with the people of God, you must ask this question. In Joel chapter 2, the question is this. As we, and if you don't mind, flip over to Joel chapter 2. In verse 14, as we said, who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering. And so let me remind you of 15, 16, and 17. This was a powerful word that the Lord gave us for that moment on October 16th. Blow the shofar in Zion. Consecrate a fast and proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children. If you remember, the children were in here that day. Gather the children and the nursing infants and let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of the bridal chambers. Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance a reproach. 
a, by, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, where is their God? And that morning we cried out to God and we fell on our face and God spoke in a mighty way. When everybody said it couldn't happen, God happened. But see, here's the thing though. God didn't want us just to repent as a one time, just come down, pray, watch God move. God wanted the people in Joel chapter 2, He wanted the people to repent and to follow Him. See, there's an action after the repentance. There's an action after the movement of God. And God called them. He said, hey, it's not just repent, but it's repent and turn to me with your whole life. Do not go back. And so the question today is this. Will you follow God and not go back? If we go back to where we were, then we will find ourselves years down the road in a worse shape than we were a couple weeks ago, and we will find ourselves in disobedience before our God. So you say, David, okay, how do we not go back? And so I asked the Lord just to show me a couple things that I could share with you, because there's a lot of things. I mean, really, how do you not go back? You walk in the Spirit every single day. And you allow the Spirit of God to overflow through your life because your life is not for the kingdom of yourself. Your life is for the kingdom of God every moment, every day. But I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, show me what I need to speak to the body of believers here this morning. Number one is this. Remember, remember, remember. Remember where we were. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it says this. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at time at, at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me also remind you of where we were. Joel chapter 1, and, and y'all don't have to flip there, but in Joel chapter 1 it talks about the land being destroyed, the locust plagues, right? We discussed that on October 16th and just how the locust plague had taken over the nation. And so remember where we were. In Joel we're remembering where our nation was, but in Ephesians we're remembering where we were because there was a time where you were on a journey to hell. There was a time where you were enslaved to the evil one. There was a time where you served, as it says in Scripture, Satan. But by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, as He opened your eyes and as you laid your life on the altar of God and gave your life to the King, and God transformed your life, you are no longer a slave to the evil one. It says that if the Son has set you free, then you are free indeed. So remember where we were. And the reason that I believe that we're supposed to remember is not out of condemnation of saying, oh, remember your past. Remember what you've done. Oh, there's no way you're ever going to make it. Just remember, whenever Satan tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future and just move on. Um, if y'all didn't get that, his future is locked up in hell. Um, so just remind him and just remember there's no condemnation. But the reason that we remember who we once were was this reason and this reason alone is that we know what God did. When you see who you once were and see who you are today, it brings glory only to the name of Jesus and Christ alone. If it brings glory to yourself, then you're living in sin because you didn't do it. That's the reason why I tell people all the time, for me, evangelism is sharing the gospel. It's not me saving somebody. It's God saving somebody because only God can save them. And so we must remember who we once were. Listen, for some of us this morning, we need to stop right here and just rejoice in knowing that our God has transformed our life. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Maybe you've just been walking and it's been a tough 10, 15 years. And you're just saying, man, I just need that joy, David. Well, just think just a moment and remember what God did in your life. I don't know about y'all, but when... When I think about where I was headed and thinking about that I had no hope and thinking about that, that I could do nothing but God and he loved me enough to die for me that I could have life, that he bled on the cross for me. Just last week, I'm sitting here and I don't know why we had 
our children in the service, but I had my child, my, my two-year-old in the service. And when I say that, the only reason I say that is because my two-year-old, like, his mind span is like two seconds. And I'm sitting there holding him while we're singing, and we sang a song about Jesus going to the cross and God allowing his son to die on the cross. And I looked at my two-year-old son, and I just began to weep. Because I said, Lord, I don't think I could do it. But that's how much you love me. And I'm going to give you every bit of who I am. Remember where we were. Remember what God did. In our own personal life, what did God do? He transformed us from death to life. Did he not? He transformed you from death to life. You're sitting here saying, David, I don't have that like excitement. I don't have that transformation. What are you talking about? God transformed me. I was dead in sin. But because of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and being raised on the third day, he gave me life. I was reborn. And so remember what he did. For our nation, let us remember what took place. That so many policies that have been pushing our nation away from the fear of God and focus more on giving man credit for what man's done, it's been slowed down and even stopped in many areas by a miracle of God. We must remember what God did. So I want you to, if you'll look on the screens, Joshua chapter 4, verses 5 and 7. I love this. Some of y'all may not know that this happened, but uh, there was actually two crossings of, of, of the water. One was the Red Sea crossing, and then there was um, the Jordan River. And so at the Jordan River, Joshua said to them, cross again to the, the ark of the Lord your God, into the middle of the Jordan, each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Now I want to flip over to verse 21. Or excuse me, verse 7. Go back to 7 for me. In verse 7 it says this, Then you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Go to verse 21 in the same chapter. It says, He said to the sons of Israel, When your children ask their father in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we crossed that all the people of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You know what I believe Joshua realized? Is that we're very forgetful people. You know, we've been a couple weeks since we saw God move, and I can go in and tell you that some people are already fearful of other things. We came in here on... And we went to Psalms 30 and man, dancing like our sackcloths had been removed and we're dancing and joy and excitement and all of a sudden we're already fearful. If you come in this morning and you say, David, I'm already fearful about something else. Let me remind you about the Red Sea. So Joseph realized, or Joshua realized that they were forgetful people and uh, through, through God directing him. So they went and they put stones, they built up these stones. And so whenever people would cross and see these stones, they would say, what are those stones? And the people would know, God showed his mighty hand here. I want to challenge you to do something. You're going to think I'm crazy. When you get home today, I want you to go find you a nice rock. I was going to bring one for everybody, but I didn't want like people throwing rocks. Um, but I want to challenge you to go home and find you a nice rock. And I want you to find like one that's, that's not going to take up too much space. Unless you want, you know, if you need a big reminder, then get a big old boulder. Uh, but get you a nice rock and right on the bottom of it, 2016, God moved. And every time you see it, when somebody walks in your house, what you got that rock sitting on the coffee table? Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you about a time where we heard God's call to pray and fast and what God did. It's a testament of who God is. We must remember where we were. We must remember what God's done. And we must avoid going back. We must avoid going back. You say, David, how do you avoid going back? You pray. You pray and you pray. I want you to see something that the Lord spoke to me the day, two days after the election. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. 
And I was up here, you know, we still meet every morning to pray from 6 to 7. Every morning. You're welcome to come. We start at that during the time of prayer and fasting. The Lord will not just, I, I stopped for a day and I like had withdrawals. I couldn't handle it. I mean, there is power up here on, on these mornings. Like we are, woo, I don't even know how to explain it. And so we're up here. If you want to come, we'll be right here or either side. It doesn't matter. We were praying and crying out to God every day. And the Lord spoke this to me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Go back to verse 20. And let's just look at that for a second. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond that we ask or think. Now hold that in light of what we've seen God do. I don't know about y'all, but almost six years ago, God healed me from a non-curable muscle disease. Right? Y'all remember that? Many of y'all were a part of that story. And I'm sitting here, I mean, God, the fire of God fell down. I, I can't even describe it. Y'all seen that? I'm almost six years medicine-free, symptom-free, running two iron men's now at this point. Doctors tell me I'm crazy. And I'm sitting here thinking, we watched a miracle of God show up this past two weeks ago, and then God wants to just like drop this in my inbox, in my mailbox, and said, hey, I got a message for you. I can do a whole lot more than what you've seen. And I was just like, whoa. Like, mine was blown. Because God was speaking, saying, what you've seen is not even, like, it doesn't even compare to how great and how big and how mighty that I can do things you can't even imagine. And you know what it did? It made my prayer life even more that real. Because I started praying for things. The Lord convicted me about people I hadn't been praying for. And I started praying with power because I said, Lord, here's the two things the Lord's told me to pray about now that the election's over. Is that he'll break the chains over this nation of sin. I'm not talking about a sin, I'm talking about sin. And let me take just a second here for a moment. Because I believe that God is a God that breaks chains. Anybody else here believe that? Anybody had some chains broken in their life? Come on. But we as the church don't need to be known as just we're coming after a sin. We're praying that God will break the chains of sin. Of sin. And so I've been praying, God, break the chains of sin across this nation. All sin. And then I've been praying, God, send the resurgency. Let the dry bones come to life. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God still is in the transformation business? Do you believe that dry bones can still come to life? Because I don't know about y'all, but I was dry bones. And the breath of God came in, breathed in, and guess what happened? God transformed my life. And so I've been praying these two things. God, break the chains over this nation of sin, and God, let the dry bones come to life. I am not going to stop praying for our Senate. I'm not going to stop praying for the House of Representatives. I'm not going to stop praying for uh, the, the, the judges on the Supreme Court because here's what the Lord spoke to me. said, hey, you're so concerned about this, this election and people keep saying that the Supreme Court is up uh, for grabs over this election. No, it's not. Because we're focused in on election every four years when God's focused in on dry bones coming to life every day. You want to see the courts changed? Start praying for their souls to get saved. You want to see the Senate change? Start praying for their souls to get saved every day. Listen, the election's over. Our prayers are not. Because He is greater. He can do things that we can't even fathom. And so we need to take that on, on light of the miracles that we've seen in His life. Many of us in this room could attest to miracles in our life. Hey, He can do greater than that. More than we could ever even think of. Man, I became like a little kid starting to pray for things. Things that people said are impossible, I started praying for them. Because I said, oh, no, they're not. I've heard that once before. Incurable disease, I've heard that once before. I've heard impossible before, that things couldn't change at this election. Oh, yeah. So we must pray that God will break the chains. James chapter 5, verse 16, I love this scripture. 
It says this, therefore confess your sins to one another for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I pray you have that memorized. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I say that we break down any ideas in our mind that God cannot, and let's say he can. And you say, well, David, what happens if he doesn't show up in a certain situation? What happens if I pray for something and I don't see it happen? Does that mean something? No, here's what that means. God allows us to walk in different situations so that people can see the hope of glory in all situations of our lives. I really believe that. You say, David, you were healed, but I wasn't. Here's the thing. We have to trust God every day. In no matter what circumstance or situation that we're in. Remember how I told you at the beginning that the Red Sea crossing, like as the Red Seas parted, and then you had to have faith to walk through it? I'm going to share something with you I've never shared. I shared for the first time with a group of people a few Wednesday nights ago. But when God healed me of myasthenia gravis almost... I guess July of next year will be six full years. Those first two years after God healed me were the hardest two years of my life. See, if I would have been missing an arm and all of a sudden my arm grew back, there would have been no problem. Every day I look at it and like, look, <laughs> like I got, you know, I mean, every day, if, if, if I could have visually seen it, I would have been okay. But I couldn't visually see it because it was an autoimmune disease inside of me. And every day I'd wake up and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm not taking medicine today. God, my doctors have given me permission, though they can't find it. And I, I sought medical advice. I asked the doctors what to do. They couldn't find the disease, so they allowed me to step off my medicine. Y'all were all there with me on that. I don't tell people just to go cold turkey on your medicine. You always go talk to your doctors. You always go talk to your doctors and let them lead you and guide you. But every day after I stopped taking that medicine, I woke up and said, okay, God, if it's not for you, I can't breathe today. Like, my lungs will not be able to breathe if you don't move. If you, if you didn't really heal me, oh God. And I had to take a step of faith. When I started training for the Ironman, every day I went to go run, I was scared to death. And my faith was growing every day. I stand here today and I say, I, I rarely think about the fact because over time, the Lord has just grown that inside of me. And I had to continue to walk every day. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. We need to pray that God will break the chains over this nation and that God will allow the dry bones to come to life. And let me tell you which is more important to me, dry bones coming to life. And here's why, because when dry bones come to life, chains are broken. Right? And when we start to see chains broken in this nation, guess what we're going to see? We're going to see revival start to break forth in this nation. How many of y'all want to see revival in this nation? God, let it start with me. Let it start in my heart. As I pray every morning, search me and know me, O Lord. Show me an evil way about me. Because if there's anything in my life that's hindering my relationship with you, then how could revival start in my life? So remember where we were. Remember what God did. Pray. And the last thing the Lord's put on my heart is this. Is that it's time for us as believers across this nation to walk in the power and the boldness of who our God is. I want y'all to go to Matthew chapter 16 verse 18. And y'all might be confused at first whenever I bring this passage up. But bear with me, I promise there's an incredible point here. In Matthew 16, verse 18, it says this, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, some of your Bibles may say hell, will not overpower it. And people ask me all the time, wait, hold up, are we supposed to go to hell? Like, are we supposed to, like, like why in the world, what, what's this scripture about? Let me just give you a little bit of context here, because this, this, to me, is exactly where we are today. The area of Caesarea Philippi, which is the, the location that this was written, the, the area that this was spoken. And in that location, they considered it one of the cultural places where all the, like, the paganism 
was like all centered around. There was even a place where they called the entrance to hell. And so when Jesus is mentioning, hey, the, on this rock I will build the church, people say, well, well, why would he go there and tell them that I'm going to build the church there? I believe that God was speaking and saying, hey, amidst the culture, amidst all the paganism, amidst all the, the world religions, I will build my church. And the gates of hell and all the paganism around will not prevail against my church. And you sit there and you say, David, what were gates used for? Gates were used to keep people out. You don't like build a gate and then go on offense and go build another gate and then go on offense and build another gate. When gates can't prevail, that means that the church is on the offense. And I believe that it's time that, that God said, I'm going to build my church in the midst of all the cultural things and the culture will not be able to stand because of the power of God throughout the church. And I believe that it's time for us to say we're not going to be on the defense anymore. We're going to go out and take the love of Jesus to the streets, to the byways, all throughout the city of Mobile, Alabama. And as the Lord was putting this on my heart, He took me to a song. And that song was, you're the God of this city. Greater things are yet to come. Right? Greater things are still to be done in this city. In Mobile. But here's where, here's where the rubber meets the road is that if we stay back and look at the Red Sea crossing and see the walls out and go, whoa, God, that's awesome, but I ain't going in there. Then what will take place? Let me just give you a 2016 understanding of that. We'll sit right in a comfortable chair. We'll come in here in the safety of this room and the air conditioner or maybe the heater today. I don't know what's on. And we'll say, David, or Brother Fred, thank you so much for a message. That was awesome. And we'll walk out and we'll just continue our life about our kingdom. And we won't be changed or moved. But you want to know how it looks to walk through that Red Sea crossing? We run out of here to go to battle. We say, God, we understand that Ephesians chapter 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against demonic warfare, it's against the evil one. We take up the armor of God, we get re rejuvenated by the word of God being breathed upon us, and we go out and we fight the gates of hell in this city. And we start saying, we're not going to accept the chains of paganism to be placed on this city anymore. We're going to be the voice in the wilderness crying out, repent, because God is coming. And Jesus Christ wants to transform your life just as he did mine. And so the question is this, will we stay seated or will we go out? Will we be get comfortable or will we say we're going out and we're going to walk according to God's calling in our lives? You say, David, how do we do that? Because I don't, I'm not, I'm not a fan of just going like, like just, I don't believe in yelling at people with the gospel. What I believe in is loving people and speaking truth in love. In Matthew 22, many of y'all know what is the greatest commandment, but, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We go out and we love people, but when you love them, you love them enough to speak the truth to them. You love them enough to speak the truth to them. And as we've already mentioned, and I'm not going to take time on, on really developing it, because I've already preached a message on this, but we must go out and build relationships with people in the city. All of our relationships should not be right here. We've got to go build relationships in this city. And as you build relationships with people, they give you the opportunity to speak truth into their life. And as I shared with you, I go to the same CVS every time so I can see the same people every time so that eventually I can let them know why I'm so excited. I go to the same grocery store all the time and when everybody in that grocery store gets saved, I'll go to another one. Romans 10 says, blessed are the ones, the feet that come and share the good news. You say, David is talking about preachers there. Yeah, but we're all a holy priesthood, aren't we? God's called us to go and share the gospel. He's given us time. Wasn't that our prayer? God, give us more time to go out and share the gospel. It wasn't God, give us more time to enjoy the luxuries and comforts. And that's okay that, that those things are, that are here, but if we worship those things, we've missed it. 
We missed it. What we need to be doing is taking the word of God to the, to, to the city of Mobile, Alabama and saying, I'm not going to let the gates of hell prevail anymore in this city. We're going to come against the chains that have so easily entangled this city. And we're going to claim Mobile, Alabama for the gospel for Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We're going to claim it for Jesus. And I'm not going to just sit back and relax. I'm going to go out every day and share with my life and with my tongue about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there are dying people in this city that are going to hell. And if we don't share the gospel, who will? So the question is this. So what will you do now that you're at the Red Sea crossing? I told you we were going back to Joel chapter 2 and I'm going to actually close with this. In Joel chapter 2, we read 15, 16, and 17. But in verse 18 it says, remember verse 14, 15, 16, really Joel chapter 2 is all about repent. Put on sackcloth and ashes, cry out to God, Blow the shofar. That's a great sound, isn't it? But then in verse 18, it says, then. And if you feel comfortable underlining your Bible, underline the word then. You're like, man, that's a pretty profound word, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because first it says, if we do this, verse 18 then says, then the Lord will be zealous for his land. The word then tells us that something had to happen beforehand. What was it that had to happen beforehand? We had to repent and turn back to God. Then God, the Lord, will be zealous for his land and he will have pity on his people. The Lord, verse 19, will answer and say to his people, Behold, I am going to send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied and full with them. And I will never again make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northern armies from you, and I will drive into to a parse and desolate land. If you go down to verse 21, Do not fear, O, o land, rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit, the fig trees and the vines have yielded in full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for He has given you the early rain for your vindication and has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain as before. Y'all, I believe, and y'all might think I'm crazy, but I believe that the reason it's supposed to rain tomorrow is because I'm supposed to preach this message before it rains again. You say, why, David? Because I want you to know that when the rain comes tomorrow, it is God's grace and His mercy because He heard the cry of His people. And if it don't rain tomorrow, I believe it's going to rain Tuesday. But I'm praying, God, let it rain. And during the midst of this prayer time, one of the songs the Lord kept taking me back to was one of those guys that's been around longer than I've been alive, Michael W. Smith. And that song, Let It Rain. Oh, let it rain. Let it rain, God. Let your mercy and your grace reign upon the people. But I want you to see this in verse 27. This is very, uh, well, excuse me, in verse 25. It says, Then I will make up to you for the years that the locusts has eaten. You want to see the years the locusts have eaten in this nation be restored? Then God's telling you to pray. Remember, pray, and go. God's telling you not to sit back and enjoy just the comfort. He's telling us to go and take the gospel of reconciliation that he has spoken and given to each of us and to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that he has given each of us the gospel of reconciliation to take it to Mobile, Alabama. To your high school, to your work. You want to see the, 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 the locusts to be restored? I've seen it in my own life. I've seen the locust that has destroyed. I've seen it been restored in my own life. And many of you probably have as well. And you're sitting there saying, well, David, what about on a personal level? 
You want to see the locusts restored in your own life? Serve God with all your heart. Share the gospel with the nations. And let me tell you something. Your life will be radically changed for the gospel. Because what will take place is you will no longer be focused on your kingdom. You'll be focused on His kingdom. And when you focus on His kingdom, you will have joy beyond joy beyond joy and excitement like you can never even fathom. Oh, but I love verse 27, and we got to end with verse 27. Thus you will know that I, God, am in the midst of Israel. And that I am the Lord your God. And there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. You want to know why God's going to, why God showed up a couple weeks ago? Because his people prayed. But it's so that people will know that there is a God in America. You want to know what God's telling us? Is that he'll restore the years the locusts have eaten as long as we are remembering what God did, that we do not go back, that we cross the Red Sea on the dry land and we say we're moving forward. We're going to pray and pray and pray for dry bones coming to life. Because let me just tell you something. Dry bones coming to life is a much bigger miracle than anything you could ever imagine. It's bigger than anything. It's bigger than a dead person coming to life on a natural level. On a spiritual level, it is the biggest thing we could ever fathom. And God is doing all this so that people will know that He is God and there is no other. You'll know why He's planting the church in the midst of a pagan area. It's because it's time for the gates of hell to not prevail and the gospel of God to go forth in power. And guess what's going to take place? All the people across the land, all the people across this nation, all the people across the world will see that there is none like Yahweh, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the great I am. He is past, present, future. There is none like Him. There never will be anyone like Him. And so what we have gone through is to proclaim that our God reigns. To proclaim that our God is all-powerful. And so we go out with the promise that God says, all authority has been given to me. And then what does he say? Go, and I will be with you. God said he's going to be with us with all authority. Ephesians says that all uh, are under the foot of Jesus. So what do we do? We go out with all boldness and power. Nobody can do anything to us without it first going before the king. And so the question is this. Will you continue to move forward, or will you go back to Egypt? Show that picture up for me. One last time. Will you walk? Once you see the miracle of God, will you walk? Will you move forward? God's calling each of us. Yo, Psalms 30, 11 and 12. Yo, I'm dancing and excited because God's removed the sackcloth and ashes from my life. Remember, I came here in a black suit saying I was at a funeral for our nation. Do y'all remember that? I was mourning. I couldn't like, I wept almost every day before God as I cried out and prayed Daniel chapter 9. What an amazing prayer for a nation. And I mourned and I cried and I repented and I sought the Lord day and night. And many of you were there with me. Many of you came on that journey with me in in different ways. Many of y'all from Luke 418 were there. And now God has let us dance because of the joy that God has set before us. We rejoice in what he did. And so the question is, will you move forward through the walls of water, the miracle that God has taken place? If not, we will be in disobedience. But if we go forward, God will be with us and this city will never be the same. It will never be the same because that's how big and how powerful and awesome our God is.